mother barely twenty out there on her own a teenage boy in prison before he's even grown the illness of a loved one a widow no one calls but there is one solution an answer for it all there is power in the name of Jesus there is hope there is strength and victory to claim there's healing in his holy presence there is power in his name a nation needing mercy fighting for her life a church that needs revival a broken man and wife but in the name of Jesus, chains of bondage fall. Prayers are heard and answered when God's children call. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope, there is strength and victory to claim. There's healing in his holy presence. There is power in his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope, there is strength and victory to claim. There's healing in his holy presence. There is power in his name. There is power in his name. song, isn't it? I have to put this on. Caught up in that song there. That was good. We'll take our Bibles today and turn over to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 23. <clears throat> We're going to read through the rest of that chapter, like three verses. And then we're going to read the first couple in chapter 2. It's not like reading Psalm 119, is it? 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> I uh, shared with the singles this morning about a <clears throat> particular preacher who was out taking a walk. And <clears throat> he saw a little fellow over there on the house across the street kind of trying to jump up and, you know ring the doorbell and couldn't quite reach it so the preacher kind of moseyed on over there and he stepped up behind that young man and he said well young man he said what you trying to do he said I'm trying to push that doorbell 
He kind of smiled and said, oh, that's fine. Let me help you out. He pushed the doorbell. He looked at the young man. He said, now what you going to do? And he said, now we run. <laughs> Some of you may want to run right now. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. <clears throat> Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice... And all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Father in heaven, we come to you. We thank you for uh, the service tonight, the opportunity to sit and to glean, Father, from not only your word, but just from the wonderful music. Father, to just uh, be able to reflect on you and your goodness and grace in our lives. As that choir lifted up their voice today, I, Father, was so encouraged to hear them sing. What a great message, what a powerful song, and what a great job they did. We thank you, Father, for just even the chorus that we sang tonight. Let's pray, just pray. Then, Lord, tonight also for the special that was sung. We're just grateful that we can be a part of it. I ask, Lord, that you would just work now in our lives. May you be glorified in them. You're so worthy of our praise. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I want you to look around you. I just want you to see somebody beside you for a moment. I just want you to see, look at somebody beside you. And again, don't make a face or anything. But you know what? You have what you have because of you're where you're at. Listen, it doesn't happen by chance. Some of you have your wife or your husband beside you. Some of you have children beside your grandchildren. You have friends and others, maybe family members. Listen, this is something that we take for granted all too often. Well, we can't take it for granted. You know, it's all part of God's purpose and plan for us as believers to come together in a place like this so that we can share in one another's lives. And I hope we don't take that for granted. It has nothing to do with the message. I just felt that we need to hear it sometimes and be reminded. 1 Peter chapter 1 here in verse 23. He's talking here. He opens up by saying being born again. Well, being born again, of course, is something that we'll look at a little bit later in the message. But boy, what a wonderful thing it is to be born again, to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that we're born again, though. He goes, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Now, that word corruptible means that which may decay and perish. That which may decay and perish. He talks about the incorruptible, though. And that word, it means that which cannot corrupt or decay. So what he goes on to say here is that We're born again, not of corruptible seed, seed that can uh, decay or perish, but we are born of incorruptible seed, 
that will never corrupt or decay. He then draws our attention to and points to the Word of God. He turns to that which is the Word of God and he says it's not corruptible. It's not going to perish. It's not going to decay. He says it's going to live and abide forever. Well, that's pretty good. I like to hear that. Now, we understand that the Word of God and Jesus Christ are inseparable. We know we could go to John chapter 1 and we'd see that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father. We understand that Jesus Christ and the Word are inseparable and as a result, we know that if Jesus Christ lives, the Word of God continues. The Word of God continues, Jesus Christ lives. And so in the passage, he's talking about the Word of God and he's saying, listen, this Word, this book, this Gospel is going to never corrupt, it's never going to decay. And may I say that it would be impossible for it to do so, seeing that it is indeed Jesus Christ and He is forever and eternal. So this incorruptible seed points to the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And then he turns to that which is corruptible. He focuses his attention now on that which will ultimately decay, which will ultimately perish. Notice he then says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. Again, for all flesh is as grass. He says, that grass ultimately, as he continues, says, the grass withereth. Now, all of us understand that. We we don't have to be rocket scientists to get what he's addressing and what he's dealing with. The temporary aspect of this grass. If you have grass in your yard, you know that in in the springtime, it seems like it starts to turn green. And then as it comes to fall, if you want to plant grass, by the way, you plant grass in the fall. That's the best time to plant grass. But then ultimately, winter comes, and what happens? Your grass just kind of gets covered up. It gets crushed. It gets beat up. Oh, it's still there, but it's not really like it green and plush and lively. It withers. It withers. He goes on and says, all the glory of man. It says the flower of grass. You think about the glory of man, we think about man's youthfulness. When we think of mankind, we think that life begins as a baby, and boy, you look at those infants, and they're just so full of life, and as they begin to get older, their energy levels are spiking, and they're running all over the place. You can't hold them down. As soon as they start walking, they're into everything. Well, actually, the moment they start moving. Even a little baby, you hold it in your, on, against your chest, and next thing you know, it's grabbing for everything. Man, there's just so much energy. There's so much life there, so much youthfulness. We think of the glory of man, his youthfulness, his energy, his accomplishments, his achievements. And the Bible here is saying that those are all going to fall away. They're going to fade like the flower does with the seasons. Here today, gone tomorrow. We put so much emphasis today on our beauty and our outward appearance. I'm convinced today that, you know... Trying to, for people, people trying to live forever. That's what we're trying to do today. And we're spending billions of dollars a year trying to live forever. Men don't want to get young, so they're taking testosterone. Women don't want to get old, so they're put, covering themselves with makeup. I mean, when it's all said and done, we're trying to hide what is a natural progression of life. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to want to be in shape. I'm not saying it's wrong to not want to stay youthful if you can. But my point being is we are spending billions of dollars in America to somehow overthrow the reality that man and flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. I think many of the problems we're seeing in our culture and our world today are a result of mankind being unwilling to grow old. How in the world do you have people that have been married 35 years getting divorced and then running out and marrying again? And then starting brand new families. You know, that is a, that's denial. A 55-year-old man does not need to marry a 30-year-old and start a new family. That is called a crisis. Now again, that's a direct result of us trying to hold on to youth long after God said, guess what? The grass is fading, fella. The glory of man is fallen. Now I'm sorry, but there's a difference between a 55-year-old and a 30-year-old. This idea that I feel better than I did when I was in my 30s and the guy's at 63 on a commercial. Now I don't know, he's probably getting paid. Because that same 63-year-old probably felt a lot more youthful at 30 than he does now. Now, he may be a lot more youthful than a lot of 30-year-olds. Because there ain't too many of those around anymore that are youthful. But he was more youthful at 30, I bet, than he is at 63, even taking all that mess. Now, again, all I'm trying to emphasize is, is that the Bible's pretty clear here, and the Bible's pretty plain. The bottom line is, is that this old flesh is going to wither. It's going to fade it's going to fall. But he points to a book and he says, this word of, the God, of God though is a book that liveth and abideth forever. It endureth forever. Everything we look at and everything we view in this world all around us is fading fast. It's going by the wayside. It's withering away. But this book right here, this book, the word of God will live and abide forever. This book right here doesn't fade. It's not going to go away. The Bible tells us even that it's settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, according to the passage, you and I have received the divine nature by way of a divine book. That's what he's getting at here early on. He makes it very clear that we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, the word of God, a divine seed. We are being born again, or we, are, we receive a divine nature by way of a divine book, the word of God. He then says in verse chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. As a result of possessing the divine nature, he now says we are to lay aside some things then. Because you possess the divine nature, because you have Christ living in you, because you are alive in Christ Jesus, he then goes on to say it's time to lay aside some things. Notice what he tells us. He'll tell us here to lay aside malice and guile and hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speakings. Again, remember, you have the divine nature now. Can you imagine Lazarus 
coming forth from the grave and, you know, Jesus called him out. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus shows up. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, public. And he said, they say, remove, you know, get rid of those old grave clothes. He says, oh, no, I like them. That's a perfect fit. He's been in them for four days now. His body's been decaying and deteriorating. Those grave clothes smell and they stink and they're just, I mean, they're wretched. But he's alive and he just keeps the old grave clothes on. And he he kind of makes his way through the city and everybody through the city's like, whoa, what is that repulsive smell? Oh, that's just old Lazarus in his grave clothes. Now that makes no sense at all, does it? The first thing that happened when Lazarus rose from the grave, Jesus said, you get them clothes off of him. Come on now, get those things off of him. He's alive now. He ain't dead any longer. Boy, I tell you what, he, he laid aside some things. Like Lazarus, we've been raised from the dead to newness of life. And therefore, we got to lay aside the old grave clothes too. Or more accurately, we got to lay aside the garments of the old nature with its fleshly deeds. That's what it's talking about. So he's trying to impress upon us. So we need to lay aside sins that affect our testimony negatively then. You'll be happy to know there's only one more page of notes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 again. Wherefore, laying aside, he says, all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. Again, the Bible points out sins that are both inward and outward. He immediately addresses this issue of malice. He says to lay aside all malice. Remember, you have the divine nature from a divine book. And he's saying, now, what I want you to do is lay aside some of that old things. Those things are going to perish. Those things that are going to go away. That old flesh needs to be crucified and die. And it's going to die no matter what. No matter how much you try to dress this old thing up. No matter how hard you try to make it appear to be youthful. No matter what steps you take and what lengths you go to maintain your youthfulness and your energy and your achievements. They're all going to end up fading away. So I want you... To lay aside some things. Lay aside all malice. Malice is a disposition to injure others without cause. So we could maybe say, in a practical sense, it means it, it, it stands for being mean or spiteful. But hold on. The word that's used for malice in this particular passage even goes a little bit deeper. deeper. It really is, is kind of the culmination of the old nature itself. It kind of points to the overall nature of man, that sinful, atomic nature. So when he goes to, in the passage and he starts to say, wherefore, laying aside all malice, what he's saying is, die to self, crucify the old man. Die to who and what you used to be. Don't you carry around that old flesh any longer. Don't hold it around. It's a waste. It's dead. Or ought to be dead. And that atomic nature, which is sinful and selfish to the core, is to be laid aside. And then he turns to some other things, more specific. He goes on to say, and all guile. 
That means being deceitful or using deceit for any reason. Now, of course, none of us would ever do that. But let's be honest. In our flesh, it is quite tempting at times to be deceitful. And sometimes we're deceitful with good intentions. Well, I I don't want to tell them the truth because that would hurt them. Now, you need to be careful how you speak the truth. And there are some times that you don't need to speak all the truth in the midst of a situation. You just don't share certain things. But I'm going to tell you this. You better be careful you're not being deceitful. You better make sure that you aren't allowing your flesh to rule you. Can I tell you that God does know best? That when God tells us we're not to lie, we shouldn't be lying? You say, well, I know better. Yeah, you know better than God then. Now, there are ways to handle things, and you need to be very wise. But by the same token, be careful that you don't fall back on that old man and that old nature, and you don't allow that guile to rise up from your flesh, and you become deceitful, or you use deceit for for some other reason. Don't do that. Even if in some way you think you're sparing somebody's feelings, you better be careful with that. He goes on to say, not only laying aside all malice, which has to do with that culmination of the old nature, that atomic nature, but guile, he says, being deceitful or using deceit for any reason, he goes on to say hypocrisies. It's interesting that the Lord addresses these issues, and he addresses them with the people here in the book of 1 Peter, as we see the opening of the book. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ of the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What he's dealing with here are some of those early Christian believers, those Jewish believers who have been dispersed as a result of persecution. I don't know about you, but if you would ask me, do you think that those early Christians were good Christians? I'd probably say, well, they're a lot better than me. But yet, yet Peter has to address some issues. And Peter looks to them, the very ones who endured persecution, the very ones who stood for Jesus Christ and would not compromise. And he says to them, lay aside all malice. You, as believers, have the divine nature from a divine book as a result of that book. And I now want you to lay aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies. You say hypocrisies? Yeah, the idea is one of an actor putting on a show on a stage. We're going to have a production here in the next uh, 25, 30 days. And there's going to be folks up here that are literally hypocrites. (laughs) They're going to be pretending to be somebody they're not. Right? I mean, that's what the definition, it has to do with this idea of putting on a show on the stage. Now, the problem is, should I say, in this case, we understand it. It makes sense. Because if you're an actor, you're supposed to be portraying a personality or or some kind of uh, person other than yourself. You're taking on a role. But sadly enough, many people take on roles every day. They pretend to be someone or something they're not at the workplace, or possibly school, or maybe even in the church house. And he says, you lay aside that hypocrisy. Don't you be a hypocrite. 
Don't you put on a play. Don't just go acting. Be real and genuine and sincere. Lay aside that thing. He says, lay aside envies. It's interesting, isn't it, that guile and that hypocrisies and even envies, when you think about it, to look upon the accomplishments or the things of others grudgingly. Those are all inward sins, aren't they? It's funny all the time, when you look at his list of sins, when you find the Lord and you start to consider all the sins that mankind commits, you'll recognize a trend. Often, most often, he emphasizes and he points to primarily inward sin because he understands that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The reality is, is that God is more concerned about your heart attitude than your actions. And may I say that he's still concerned about your actions, but he's more concerned about your inward attitude and inward attitude because it affects your actions. You can't be sick and sinful inside and not act a sinful fool on the outside. Don't tell me that you live a good life if you don't have a good heart. You can't. It's an impossibility. We have so dressed up our sin. We've made it look so appealing and so acceptable in our world. Matter of fact, we've changed the perspective of people to the point where even believers somehow have so denigrated the Word of God and, and, and they look at sin and they say, it's not that bad. Even though God says something's an abomination, we say, well, you've got to understand. Understand what? I'm not saying not to love. I'm not saying not to be understanding of the sinner. I'm not saying that when a pig wallers in mud, I get angry at the pig. No, I understand that's natural. I don't get in the least bit upset with a pig that wallers in mud. And may I say, friend, if you're getting upset with sinners that are wallering in the muck and mire of this world and you show an attitude toward them, my friend, you don't understand what human nature is and you don't understand what you've been saved from. This idea that somehow they should know better. They shouldn't know better. They're acting out of nature. I expect them to embrace sin. I expect them to embrace attitudes of sin. I expect them to be acceptant of sin. That does not shock me. It doesn't, it doesn't play with my mind. It doesn't even make me angry in the least. But it does bother me when someone has the divine nature and they've received it from a divine book. And God has begged us and pleaded with us to lay it aside. And we hold on to it. And we act and think and believe and respond the way the world does. Now that does bother me. It really bothers me when it's me. More than anybody, it bothers me when it's me. And it should bother you more when it's you than anyone else. You ever know people that are really quick to see everybody else's problems? Can I tell you that it is not wrong for people to see your problems? That's not judging. That's observation. But it is wrong when they can't see their own and they only see yours. Now that's a problem. See, it's not the guy who recognizes the mote in your eye that's the problem. 
It's the guy who doesn't recognize the beam in his. We've got this thing all mixed up, and I don't have time to go into it. But again, I only have two pages of notes, so we're very, very good on time tonight. But I still don't have time for that one. Envies. Have you ever looked on something of someone else's and almost begrudged them of it? They get a nice car, and you're like, man, that should be my car. They don't deserve that. If anybody deserves it, it ought to be me. I've worked hard for that. I got nothing to show for what I've done. And you begrudge someone else something good. Maybe that guy in the youth group gets a pretty girlfriend. You guys are like, man, if only they knew me, they would know I should be the one they're with. You know how that goes. We've all been there. I used to think that all the time. And as soon as they got to know me, that's what's true. I heard somebody say, oh boy. Well, anyway, (laughs) you mean, oh me. (laughs) I mean, envy. And then he goes on finally to say, all evil speakings. Now that's outward, isn't it? All these other things are a reflection of inside. Every, Every Thanksgiving... You know, my wife, uh, lately at least, she gets a turkey. You say she's been with one for years. But anyway, no, I'm talking about on Thanksgiving, okay? (laughs) Thanksgiving. Come on now, quit it. So anyway, (laughs) you get that turkey, and you know, that turkey looks like a turkey, right? Now, I don't see it before it's all plucked and everything. I see it completely plucked. It's ready to go in an oven almost, you know, kind of deal. But, you know, there's something that happens. It's really kind of grotesque, if you ask me. My wife, every time before she throws that turkey in the oven, she goes to digging inside. And that just, I don't even want to be there for that process. There's just something about that that just grosses me out, you know. I could not be a veterinarian. Okay, put it that way. So anyway, she goes in there and she goes a searching for something inside that turkey and it comes out it is not pleasant. Now let me tell you something. On the outside, that turkey looks quite natural and quite normal. But on the inside, it's disgusting. Let me ask you, how are you looking on the inside? Because that's really, that's so important. So important. Do you know if my wife wouldn't have cleaned up the inside of that turkey, by the time it got to the table, it would be corrupted? I don't think I'd want to take a chance on what was in there, boiling and cooking and just kind of filtering its way through that turkey all day. That's what happens to us if we don't clean up the inside. It'll eventually affect the outside. Now he says... All evil speakings to to defame or to slander someone. Now listen, before we go accusing everybody of doing this, we probably all could be a little bit more careful in this area. You know, I think sometimes we we get this idea that to do this thing, to slander somebody, means that you got to be in a position where they can almost take you to court. I don't think so. Hey, we're believers here. 
We shouldn't be using our tongues to, to lash other people, to hurt or harm other people or their reputations. Can I tell you one of the things God wants from each and every one of us and wants for us is a good testimony? Can you imagine you or I hurting one another's testimony on purpose? When God wants our testimony to be good? Even if there was something wrong with someone, why would we go around telling other people or trying to harm their testimony when it's only going to reflect poorly on Jesus Christ? Why would we do that? Now, I'm not talking about dealing with honesty and reality and you got to tell the truth sometimes. But I'm just saying, be careful you're not just slandering people. Be careful you're not speaking evil things, that you're doing your best to hurt and harm someone else's reputation or their testimony. Let God's word be your standard in that area, not your own standard. So he goes on to say we're to lay aside all malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speaking. And instead, he goes on to tell us, instead of doing those things, instead of fulfilling the flesh, instead of coddling the flesh, instead of allowing it to to flourish in your life, so to speak, because it's just simply going to fade in the long run anyway, he says, as newborn babes, Look at that, as newborn babes. Think about that now. We're going back to something. We're going back to that portion where he says, born, being born again. Now he's tying that in. We've been born again. What, we're newborn babes now. Over in their book of John, chapter 3, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to Nicodemus and he says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. There's a new birth, a divine birth. A, A transformation that takes place, a change, complete, a total rebirth. As newborn babes, he says, desire the sincere milk of the word. We understand that that sincere milk of the word or that word right there from the previous verses is that which does not corrupt It's a word that doesn't decay. It's an eternal word that endureth forever. He says to desire it. Now, we're to lay aside that which will fade and wither for that which liveth and abideth forever. That's what he's telling us. Here's the thing. And here's the word that sticks out in my mind. Desire. It's a matter of desire. Do you you know why we're not going to lay aside? Listen, when he talks about laying aside, he's talking about literally taking those things that that your flesh and laying it aside, that malice, that guile. He's saying those hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speaking. You lay it aside. There it goes. Listen, do you know how many Christians say, I can't do that? You don't understand, preacher. I've tried. I'm bound by that flesh. I can't overcome it. Can I tell you the one word, reason why you can't? Desire. Desire. 
You don't want to. I don't want to. Oh, I, I go around my whole life going around talking about how, you know what? And this happens to me. I don't know if this happens to you fellas. I go out to the store and my wife's like, we need to buy you a suit jacket. And I'm like, nah, I got enough suit jackets. She's like, no, no, we need to buy you a suit jacket. Now, you remember d- that Dave Ramsey thing? Okay, well, I went to the Dave Ramsey's thing. And uh, Ramsey, and, and when I went there, <laughs> he has all these envelopes, right? And you put money in them, right? And every month, you, you're, you're saying, okay, we're going to designate so much for this and so much for this. And eventually you zero out and you have no money left at the end of the month. Well, we do that, right? We do that. And so we've got a clothing fund now. And my wife's like, well, we got at least $200 in the clothing fund. We ain't bought you a suit in two years. We're going to go out and buy you a suit jacket. And I'm like, nah, we don't need to do that. Oh, yeah. I said, I'll go to the thrift store and find something. No, we're going to find you a jacket. So we go to the store, you know, and I get to trying all these jackets on. You know what happens to me when I try jackets on? Now, you got to understand, you saw just a moment ago what I'm dealing with when I took my jacket off. I mean, it's like V-shape, you know. I mean, it's just bulking out, you know. And so, what's the laughter about? So anyway, I, I try them jackets on, and they get on there so tight, you know, and it's like I can't move. My arms are sticking out like this. I'm like, honey, this ain't happening. I can't put my arms down because my lats will tear it out. And so I'm trying to get the jacket off. And I'm like, you're going to have to help me, honey. I can't get that off. It's stuck. Do you know that's how a lot of Christians act with sin? I can't lay it aside, preacher. It's stuck. It's so tight. It fits me so tight. I can't get it off. You've ever put a shirt on? You got the sweating so bad, you go to take it off, you can't get it off? Guess that only happens to me. So anyway, the fact is, the fact is, is that it's so stuck to you. It's got, it's like, it's like crazy glue, you know? And you know what? That's how we treat our sins sometimes. Can I tell you? I ain't buying that suit jacket at that store. It don't fit. I'm not doing it. I don't care if you got to get a jackhammer to get it off of me. Or you got to hook me to some kind of a boom or something and tear it off. I don't care what it takes. It's coming off and I'm laying it aside and walking out of the store without it. Because I got a desire to keep my money unless it fits perfect. Sin does not fit a Christian perfect. The problem why, the reason why we still haul it around and we don't lay it aside because we don't want to. The desire's not there. See, we most often get what we desire because desire is an internal act that translates into an outward action. Desire starts on the inside. Remember, we defined what desire was, it starts on the inside. And it ultimately affects the outside. You know how it is every year at the beginning of the year? 
you got this great desire to lose weight. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You want to know what runs out? Desire. Oh man, I'm motivated. Well, good for the motivation. What's going to happen when the motivation runs out? Then it's going to be your own desire now. It's got to be something inside that says, I want it. I want it and I won't settle for anything less. The reason why sin is still on us and not laid aside isn't because we don't have a divine nature isn't because we don't have a divine book it's because we don't have a divine desire we don't have a divine desire we really don't want what Jesus wants that's all I really wanted to say tonight You say, well, I want that desire. Let me just ask you a couple quick questions. Do you think that desire will come by watching TV? Do you think that desire will come by listening to rock music or country music? Do you think it will come by listening to Christian rock? I don't think there is such a monster, but I use it because that's what people identify with. Do you think you're going to get that by looking at the wrong things or thinking about the wrong things. You think that's the kind of a divine desire is going to be cultivated by feeding the flesh? Someone says, well, I just wish somebody could help me with this. I'll help you with it. Get off the television so much. Stop listening to the wrong things. Stop looking at the wrong things. Stop going the wrong places. If you can't handle them all, don't go there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be nasty and I'm not trying to invoke bad thoughts. I'm just telling you that we are living in a very sensual, wicked, sinful world and we're trying to have a divine, desi- a divine desire, but we're not a, a, a availing ourselves to divine things. We wonder why it's so hard to get rid of the flesh and to discard the flesh and to lay it aside. I'll tell you why. Because we keep feeding it. And let me tell you, just like I told you, the tighter my jacket gets, the harder it is to take it off. And we're feeding that flesh so much that we're getting fat in the flesh and we can't even take it off anymore. So how do you deal with it? You stop eating. Stop feeding yourself with all that flesh. If you know that it incites a desire within you, an ungodly desire an unscriptural desire, a fleshly desire, then you're going to have to stop eating. And it'll be amazing to you how all of a sudden the things of God become so much more appealing when we stop feeding ourselves on the flesh. It's not complicated. God never intended it to be complicated. He tells us in this passage, He tells us right off the bat, You are born again. You have the divine nature. You received it as a result of a divine book. The Word of God. But now have divine desires. If you will have a divine desire, you will find that you're able to overcome the flesh and honor Christ with your life.
But it's all about desire. It's a matter of desire. What do you really want? What do I want? Can I tell you right now that I'm good enough to get by until I die? I'm doing pretty good. Got a pretty good handle on things. I'm not perfect, but I'm no worse than anybody else. I'm not doing all right. I mean, I want to please the Lord, and I want, to, I want to be in God's house, and I want to read the Word, and I want to pray, and all that, but I mean, I, I'm sure there's room for improvement. But compared to others, other people would say, oh, yeah, you, yeah, preacher, you're good to go. Is that, that means I'm good to go until I die then. Because then I'm going to have to face him. And he knows more than just what's going on out here. He knows what's going on in here. If I really want, to, if I really, if I really want God to do something, I better get the right desires. Divine desires. The reason why I'm, not, I'm going to settle, the reason why I'm content to be a mediocre Christian then, is because I just downright don't desire to be anything but. It's not because I can't. It's because I don't want. Let me tell you something. You believe whatever you want. But I really am starting to have a, lot, a really hard time trying to understand how two Christians can't get along in a marriage. You want to know why that bothers me? Because according to the word of God, that shouldn't be an issue. You know what's standing in the way? This right here. This should be laid aside. It's not getting laid aside. You want to know why? Desire. Wrong desires. The reason our marriages are falling apart is because we don't want them to last. We're not both willing to work at it. Someone says, you don't understand. My husband's a jerk. And you don't understand my wife. She don't care. I get it. And there are situations I'm not going to judge everybody. But I'm going to tell you this. If you both are Christians, then both, why don't you die to self? Why don't you get a handle on things and quit playing games with God and figure it out? And our children are running around going crazy in the world. We don't even know what's going on. Can I tell you, desire's the key. What do you expect and what do you want for your kids? Is it okay for them not to read their Bibles and pray? Is it all right for them not to go to church? Is it all right for them not to have a, a, a spiritual bone in their bodies? Why is it that we allow things to go on that we ourselves wouldn't allow in our own lives, but we permit it in our children's lives? You better get the right desires. It's all about desire. It's a matter of desire. I taped an XFL game today. Because I want to watch some football. You want to know why? Not because I'm going to grow spiritually. Not because I'm going to uh, 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 figure out the, 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 the ins and outs of the game and try to figure out the, 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 the mentality of the coach and try to make a spiritual application of that game plan. I just want to see some people plow each other. I want to watch people hit, and I want to see people get tackled, and I want to see somebody get leveled. I got a desire. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a matter of desire. What do you desire today? What do you desire? 
So don't walk out of this room and don't you dare say, Pastor Donald said that if you don't stay together as Christians, then you obviously are a bad person. No, I didn't say that. I've known men and women both that walk out of their marriages. The other party has no say in it. I got it. I get it. But can I tell you? It's because they didn't have this, the right desire. They want to keep wearing it. Sin is always the reason for failure in the Christian life. And it starts inside with desire. You know, I heard that the the teenagers are trying to memorize the book of 1 John. You want to know why most of them won't? Desire. They don't have a desire to. It's not that they're stupid. It's not one of them that couldn't learn it if they really put their mind to it and their parents would sit behind them and, and encourage them and help them. Not one of them. Those kids are smarter than dogs. They can learn things. Those kids right there can figure it out if they really want to. I guarantee you those boys, if they have a desire for a sport, they can tell you all the players on all the NBA team or all the football, but they can't quote a scripture. Can I ask you why? That's called desire. And by the way, adults, we're in the same boat. Well, I work too much. No, you don't have a desire. That's why. Because if it's important to you, you'll do it. I know, preacher's being mean tonight. We most often get what we desire because desire is an internal act that translates into an outward action. What do you desire? He says desire, the sincere milk of the word that she may grow. There you have it. Growth is an outworking of desire. Two factors. You have to discard the flesh and desire the word. That's how you grow in the Christian life. Discard the flesh and desire the word. That's the recipe for success and growth in the Christian life. It is that simple and yet it is that difficult. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, just to help us tonight. We desperately need you. Lord, there's not one of us in here that's got this one all figured out. We are all works in progress. But, Lord, may our desires be such that we put ourselves in a position to grow. May we truly have a desire to def- to just to die to self, to crucify the flesh, to, to lay aside this old filthy garment the old Adamic nature. And Lord, may we truly have a desire to be in your precious word that endureth forever and ever. Father, help us to grow thereby as we discard the flesh and desire the eternal word of God. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.